I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and get a copy of God's Word out and open and allow me to introduce myself to you all as we continue now to worship the Lord as we get into His Word. Uh, my name is Joe Catronio, and I get the privilege of being uh, the teaching pastor at Doxa Bible Church uh, in Indianapolis, and um, I get the privilege of being here with you all this morning. Now, the, other, the, the bad side of this is you're stuck with me. Um, the, the good side is Doxa gets Tony. So um, that's a privilege for our church, Doc. So we, and I, I want to say this to you as we get started. Um, sometimes you can be so close to the work that God is doing that you can't always see the miracle for what it is, or you can't appreciate the miracle for what it is. That's what's happening at, at The Rock uh, Bible Church. Well, we are so thrilled and so excited to hear all the things that God is doing at The Rock. And I, you guys are a part of that. You're here. Obviously, you're a part of that. Um, but I, I just don't want, to, I don't want you to lose sight of the work that God is doing um, specifically in your hearts, um, what God is doing in the city, uh, the, how the city is going to be impacted through the generosity of this church in the month of December. Like, come on, right? That's what this is about. And, and I want you to say this, back home in Indianapolis, where I'm from and where, where we're at there, we're celebrating every, on a weekly basis some of the things that we're hearing about uh, that God is doing at The Rock. So can we just thank God for what he's doing at The Rock? Come on, church. Let's go. Let's go. We're singing songs to the Lord. We're worshiping him. We're going to continue to worship him now. So go and open up your Bibles uh, to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 is the passage we're going to be in this morning. And um, as you're turning to this particular passage of scripture, um, I'm sure that many of you are a lot like me right now. You're, you're preparing for the Christmas season. You're buying Christmas gifts. Anybody buying any gifts this past week? Come on, raise your hand. Let me see. Nope. Okay. Those of you who haven't raised hands, come on. I mean, it's Amazon.com or do something. Uh, Chris is going to be here soon. Um, but I, I want to, as you're, as you're buying gifts, isn't it so fun uh, to find a gift that you know is going to be surprising to someone you love? You know what I'm talking about? You, you wrap the gift, and this is a gift that you don't put under the tree, right? Because you know that the person is going to shake the gift, and they're going to figure out what it is. And so you hide it, and on Christmas morning, you give the gift to your loved one or a friend, and, you, and the moment is they're unwrapping the gift, and they see the gift that you bought them, and this, this, the, they recognize it for what it is, and they're caught up in this whirlwind of excitement and astonishment. Isn't, it, isn't that so cool? Like there's stuff. How did you know? Like, I knew. I, that's what. I, I was watching you, right? That's a cool thing to experience when you're giving someone a gift. Well, I bring that up because over the past couple of weeks, or the past two weeks now, this is the second week, we're doing this Christmas series at The Rock as well as at Doxa together. Our churches are doing this together. Well, we're trying to, to show our church families um, the surprising promises that are found in the Christmas story. And our goal is that we would get caught up in this whirlwind of astonishment this year as we just hunker down in on these very familiar, sometimes obscure passages of scripture re regarding the Christmas story. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to continue on uh, where we left off last week. If you remember what we've begun to see in this series as specifically last week is that uh, the Christmas story, it really reminds us um, that when whatever God promises to do, he always does. Y'all agree with that? Right, church? Come on. That's what we're seeing. Um, so last week, Pastor Tony preached on three of those surprising promises from, anybody know where we were at last week? Isaiah where? Okay, Isaiah 9. We're working on that, all right? We're working on the week-to-week -week progression here. Um, Isaiah 9 is where we were at, and we saw three surprising promises from an all-too-familiar Christmas story, right? 
Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, right? Well, we, we saw three things from that passage of scripture. We're going to continue on this Sunday, and I want to take you to, indeed, a very obscure passage of scripture uh, regarding the Christmas story that most of the time, it doesn't get a lot of mic time on a, on, during the Christmas season. So you're going to get the mic time of Isaiah 40 this morning, and we're going to see three more of what we're calling these surprising promises of Christmas. Um, so let me give you some context. I can't just drop you in the middle of Isaiah 40 and expect you to understand all the dynamics. So uh, here's what's happening in the scene as we approach Isaiah 40. Uh, there have been essentially 50 years of, of time from Isaiah 9 um, to where we find ourselves in Isaiah 40. So 50 years of time have lapsed. Isaiah and the Lord have been specifically speaking to the people of Judah to try to get them to realize, say, listen, if you do not turn back to the Lord, put your trust in him, uh, then there's going to be some significant consequences. In fact, he's been now recently talking about how they're going to become captives to a very severe enemy called Babylon. Now, let me explain. At this time when Isaiah was telling everybody this, Babylon was like a little blip on the radar. It was a small little country, no threat whatsoever. But he was prophesying to these people saying, if you do not turn back to the Lord, this nation of Assyria that you're so worried about isn't going to be your problem. It's going to be another nation, Babylon, and they're going to force you to become their slaves, destroying the city you're in right now. Listen to the promises of God. Now, here's why I bring this up. This is why we're talking about this. The people of Judah at that time ignored the promises of God in the Christmas story. They looked at, as Isaiah was talking about the coming of the Messiah, they dismissed the Christmas story, listen, as irrelevant to their modern day problems. That's why we're talking about it right now. Because so often we can go about our daily lives and think that the Christmas story really doesn't bear any significance to our day-to-day -day lives, the, the modern-day problems we face. And what I want us to do is prevent that from happening. I want us to listen to these promises carefully. We're going to slowly unwrap three more of these promises in this story so that we don't make the same mistake that they made. Because literally 100 years from the moment Isaiah is making this prophecy, it's exactly what happened. The people of Judah became slaves to the nation of Babylon, 586 B.C. There's a picture. This picture here is a picture of, uh, um, of what's called the, the picture of deportation uh, of the nation of Israel. This is found in the National Museum of Jewish History right now in Philadelphia. And what I, want, I wanted to see this picture because this literally happened. All because of, of them ignoring the promises that we're going to read in just a moment. Now, am I saying you're going to become a slave or a, uh, be forced into captivity if you ignore the promises of the Christmas story this morning? Not necessarily, but I am saying this. You will suffer needlessly this year right now for some of us if you do not heed these Christmas promises. So... With that said, um, I want to jump into this passage. If y'all ready to go in Isaiah 40, can y'all let, let me know by saying let's go? let's go? All right, let's do that. Isaiah 40, beginning in verse number one. Here's the promises of God. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is, not end is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. 
Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. For every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. These are God's words for us this morning, church, that we're going to unpack. And again, what I want you to see right away in this passage, you can already hear, this is a promise that is going to be fulfilled 100 years in the future. But he's noticed the past tense of this. He's talking to a, a group of people that apparently are already in the land. So here's what I'm trying to explain as we get into this passage. Isaiah is no longer talking to the people in his generation because they have already chosen to ignore the Christmas promises. Now he's talking to that generation's great-grandchildren because those people, they went through the deportation. Those people are literally in the land of captivity, and God wanted them to remind them, hey, as bad as it may seem right now, I have not forgotten you. You are still my people. And so he gives them these promises, these precious Christmas promises. How many of you all have read this passage before and you thought, oh, that's about the Christmas. That's about Christmas storm. Nobody does that, right? But this particular story appears in all four of the Gospels in your New Testament regarding the Christmas of the, the birth of Christ and the coming of Christ. So we're going to unpack it. I'm going to show you these three promises. Um, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write it like this. According to this passage, what we're seeing is God promises to bring with him three things when he comes to be the Christ in this world. The first thing is this. God promised to bring his comfort into your pain. Right away we see that in this passage. Very first verse we're told, God tells Isaiah, hey, speak to the great-grandchildren that are in the land of captivity. Comfort, comfort my people. Interesting, right? Right away we hear this. We see the heart of God in this passage towards the people of God. And now I want to do something because I just, even though I gave you that context, I, I, I realized that you're, there's still a major gap that we've got to cross. I need you to sit with me in the context in which these people find themselves. I want you to feel what these people would have felt if they're in the land of captivity. In other words, I want to perform some emotional archaeology here uh, so you can get it, all right? That's my goal. Uh, if you hold your place here, um, how many of you guys are familiar with, with what's called sword drills in your Bible? You know what that is? Sword drills? Nobody? Okay, sword drills when you try to flip over to a different place in the Bible uh, without losing your place here. So I want you to flip to the book of Psalms. Everybody do this. Psalm 137. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There, there is uh, some scripture that we'll put on the screen behind us. And if you don't have one, I think there should be a Bible under a chair in front of you. Um, so feel free to do that. So... Um, Psalm 134, that's where I want you to turn. I'm sorry, 137. Psalm 137. I want to read you a psalm that was written by the great-grandchildren that were in the land of captivity, okay? And I want you to feel what they felt when they were there. This was written from their hand in Babylon. Here we go. Verse number one. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion and on the willows there we hung our lyres in other words we're no longer singing worship songs anymore we put away our worship instruments 
For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, hey, why don't you sing to us one of those songs of Zion to your God? How shall we sing to the Lord's songs in a foreign land? Can you, can you, can you imagine what that would have felt like? Your great-great-grandchildren or your great-great-grandparents were telling you, you don't need to listen to this whole God thing, the whole Christmas story thing. It's, it's, it's so irrelevant. Don't worry about it. Just You've got real problems, well, then get, go solve your real modern-day problems with real modern-day solutions, like maybe some technology or AI, chat GPT, baby, right? Um, figure out another, another solution to your real problems because this whole thing isn't going to work. And here they are now sitting in the land of, of captivity in Babylon. And they're like, what? We should have never listened to our great-grandparents. They didn't know what they were talking about. Like they, they were reeling in, in remorse. Like God, God has forgotten about us. God doesn't, God doesn't want us in his family anymore because of how we, we ignored him. Hey, has anybody ever been there before? You felt like God was just nowhere to be found in your life? That's where they're at. But right, right there in the depths of their sorrow is where Isaiah is commanded by God to speak these words to them. Comfort my people. Comfort them. Now that word's comforted. Go back to uh, your Bibles to Isaiah 40 now. Isaiah 40, I want you to circle that word comfort in your Bible. If you've got a pen or highlighter or something, I want to encourage you to just circle that word comfort, comfort in your Bibles. Because that word is in the Hebrew, it means to take a breath. Hey, breathe. These people were hyperventilating as they saw the destruction of their homes. They're deported. Their, their families were ripped apart. They're now forced into slavery. And they were living wonderful lives there in Judah, right? Ignoring all the problems, but now, now they're experiencing some significant pain because of their own choices. And God says, listen, don't hyperventilate. Breathe. This is almost like you get the picture of God putting his hand on their back and saying, I haven't forgotten about you. Yes, this is a result of your bad choices of ignoring the Christmas story, but I'm still here. Some of y'all need to hear that this morning. You know, continuing on, notice that God says uh, his per the personal pronouns. He calls him his people. Y'all see that in your Bibles? He says, hey, comfort my people. Hey, I'm your God. Y'all see that? That's pretty astounding, isn't it? Regardless of what you do or how, you, how far you go from me, I will still call you my son or my daughter. That's awesome, right? All right, continuing on. He says in verse 2, speak tenderly. Y'all see that? Notice the language that's being used here. That tender, that word tenderly is where you get the word heart. It's saying speak heart to my people, these great-grandchildren who are experiencing pain because of ignoring these promises from generations. Speak hard to them. Now he tells us why. Why should they speak hard? Why should they, why should they find encouragement and comfort? He says, because their warfare is over. Very clear in the Bible. Scholars carefully uh, point out here that this, is refer this, this particular passage has an immediate uh, fulfillment. In other words, um, that, that God was going to immediately satisfy and comfort them and come to the, where they're at. But this passage also has an ultimate fulfillment. In other words, a supernatural fulfillment. 
immediate because we know that 70 years after they entered the land of Babylon, God did deliver them from Babylon. God did rescue them out of that captivity, and they were able to go back to the land of Judah as was promised, right? They did experience comfort in a very real, immediate sense. But there's also, church, a supernatural component to this promise. Say, where do you see that? Keep reading. Go back to verse 2. Look at the very next phrase that we find in our Bibles. He says, okay, that her warfare is ended, so the captivity will end. But then he says this, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Now, hold on a minute. Our iniquity has pardoned. Their iniquity has pardoned. Now, can 70 years of captivity really pardon your sins before God? Uh, how about a no on that, right? I think I'm going to go with a no. Um, because let's just try this. Those of you who are more Bible-saturated people in the Greensburg community, um, those of you, how many of you guys grew up in church or at least around church? Raise your hand. Okay, you're going to know this, all right? At least I hope you know it, okay? Um, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. See if you can finish this verse, all right? This is Paul writing to the church at Rome, explaining the only thing that can pardon your sin. Y'all ready? All right, here we go. Uh, For the wages of sin is, come on, church, that's it. Death, that's exactly right. The wages of sin is death. Only death is what will pardon sin. So what does he mean then that their sins are pardoned? He's pointing to the ultimate fulfillment. Come on, y'all follow me, right? He's pointing to the ultimate fulfillment of this promise. Well, what's that? You go a little bit further in your your book of Isaiah, we actually get a very vivid picture of who the fulfillment was going to come through. Isaiah 53, if you're taking notes, write this down in your Bibles. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, allow me to read it to you, okay? This is the promise of comfort would would ultimately come when Christ would come into the world. And when he does, here's what we're told. Uh, He will by himself bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. He would be the one who would be pierced for our transgressions, and he would be crushed for our iniquity by his wounds. See if you could finish. We are healed. That's right. So in other words, when, the, when Christ Jesus would come into the world, he would by himself die the death that is deserved by humanity in order to pardon their sins. It was, this passage is pointing us to the coming of Christ. It was the ultimate fulfillment of comfort. Now, with that, let's see if you can finish that Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's right. So the point is, listen, loved ones, listen. The point I'm trying to make is Christmas reminds us that when Christ came into this world, he came, follow me, He came to bring you comfort in the midst of your pain. So what does that mean for everyone sitting in the room right now? All right. Are we just talking about pain from our our separation from God? No, no, no. Here's Here's what this means then for us. Some of you sitting in this room right now are experiencing pain. Pain because of bad decision that was made. Uh, Maybe... um, You feel a lot like the people of Judah, like you've gone too far from the Lord, like there's no way he's going to draw you closer to himself again. Listen, remember the Christmas story reminds you that he came 
to comfort you in your pain. You're never too far gone. Others of you, Pastor Tony was explaining to me that some of you are, are walking through some very physical pain. Uh, some of you have recently have family members or maybe even yourself have, have received a diagnosis that is extremely difficult, that is filling your life with pain, physical pain, or you're, you're, you're walking through this doctor's diagnosis. Others of you in this room right now, again, Pastor Tony was helping me shepherd your heart, uh, hearts well, and he said, listen, some of the people in the room that you're going to be speaking to are navigating some serious emotional pain. Like, like they, they themselves right now are, are struggling with, um, there's going to be people in the, in the room that are going to have an empty chair around their dinner table this year at Christmas time because of a passing of a loved one. Some of you are going to have an empty chair because of someone has moved away in the family and they're not going to be able to celebrate with you as there's a sense of loss there. Others of you have navigated divorce this year and there's an empty chair because of that. Um, others of you are wrestling still with this uh, another year of infertility. You're so badly wanting to have a baby in the, in the room celebrating Christmas with, but yet 2023 has come and now almost gone, and there is still this emptiness and this pain. Listen, this Christmas promise that we just unpacked, this promise is for you. God is promising to comfort you in the midst of your pain. That's why he came, church. So receive that. Don't make the same mistake that the people of Judah did and ignore it, but rather turn to the Lord this Christmas and embrace this and trust him that he's going to come to you in your pain. Church, that's good news, right? Come on, that's awesome news. But that's not the only promise I want to unpack with you. The passage continues to go on. I want you to see the second promise. Write this down. God also promised to bring his presence into our situation. Look at verse 3. We're told that Isaiah was told to, um, to a, voice, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low and uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Pretty clear, right? Uh, he's telling us to prepare the way of the Lord. Why is he saying that? Because he's making a promise, church. Here's the promise. God himself is going to break into humanity's activity. God himself is going to come to where you are at right now and help you. Very clear, he's telling you to prepare the way of the Lord because he is coming to you. I love that, right? Notice that Isaiah is not saying, um, you know, God's going to kick back with his feet up until you, bucko, get off the ground and start walking to him. And then he's going to, no, 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 it's the opposite. God is going to come to you right where you are at. Man, I love that about Christmas, right? Breaking into our humanity, our human history, the sphere of human activity. Uh, it reminds me of uh, a situation recently, a uh, few, few years ago, actually. Um, I was out to lunch with downtown Indianapolis with a friend of mine, 
And uh, while we were there, it was just a, a, a kind of like a hole-in-the-wall Chinese restaurant. Anybody like Chinese in here? Come on. All right. That's a half, the, half the building went up. Okay. Uh, so Chinese food is, is great. We were having Chinese food and um, enjoying a nice meal. Meal was coming to an end, and uh, we started heading outside back to our cars. And all of a sudden, these police cars go flying by. I mean, flying by all down the street. And they start setting up roadblocks, um, establishing, like, shutting the road down. Uh, creating roadblocks. We saw these, these, um, these black Escalades with mafia tinted windows start sh- just driving down the street. I mean, bl- barricading everything. I'm like, how am I going to, what's going on? Did somebody get shot? You know, I'm, I'm getting nervous, right? We're downtown Indy, y'all. I mean, this is serious. So all this is going down, and I'm panicking, and I, I realize all that someone told me in the restaurant um, that apparently the president of the United States, Donald Trump, was going to be coming to that particular street to go to our restaurant downtown. Like, it was like, Maybe he's going to come have Chinese. I don't know. But, I mean, everyone, I mean, it was very clear what these CIA agents were doing. And the police, they were, what were they doing? They were preparing the way for the president of the United States. And it's pretty common. You would expect that to occur, right? I mean, this is a very important person in America. Here's Isaiah's point. God deserves and is expecting his people to prepare the way for him. Don't lose that. That's what Isaiah is communicating here. Now, where am I going with this here? Follow with me here. Um, I don't want you to lose this either. Uh, Again, I mentioned this earlier. All four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, draw a direct line from this very prophecy to the person and work of Jesus Christ, specifically pointing to um, uh, John the Baptist, who is going to be the voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. And then what did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus, right? When he was coming down to be baptized. Anybody remember what he said? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's what he said to him. Now, I bring that up because I want you to say, I want to explain to you, Jesus, the fulfillment of this promise, came. He literally came and he entered into our human activity so that you and I could experience Follow me, the presence of God in our situations. Now, let me give you some explanation. Now, when we think about this passage, usually uh, when we come to this particular point of the passage, um, we, we begin to, we, we, we try to figure out how this relates to our own lives today. All right, when we, we can easily dismiss this passage of scripture because after all, Jesus already came, so we don't really have to prepare the way for the Lord anymore, Right? That, that, that ship is sailed. But let me push back on you for just a minute if you're holding to that logic. Because so many Christians who've grown up in church their whole lives hear this passage of Scripture and think, well, that was for the back then they had to prepare the way of the Lord, not so much for us sitting in the room today. That's wrong. How many of you in sitting in this room would, are longing to see God show up in a very specific situation in your life? Raise your hand. You long to see God show up, right? You, you are even praying, God, God, show up. I want to see you move in this situation in my life. If that's the case, this passage is, a, is providing you helpful insight on how you ought to be preparing the way for the Lord to show up in your situation. Here we go. I want you to see this. And before I even do that, I'm going to get you thinking about that, everyone in the room. Where do you long 
to see God show up most in your life. For some of you, maybe you're longing to see God show up in your marriage. You want God to show up in your, in your kids' lives. Maybe you want to see God show up in your job situation or you're struggling with some financial insecurity right now, not knowing what was coming next. Hey, listen, let me help you with this. Isaiah tells us very clearly how to prepare the way for the Lord to show up in our situation. And I want you to see it here. Go back to your Bibles. Again, I want you to see it in verse uh, number three. Actually, let's pick up in verse number four. He tells us, first of all, um, he says, Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Hey, if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you with this. Write this down. Um, the first way you and I can prepare the way for the Lord to show up in our situation is simply this. Maybe we need to lift up our valley to the Lord right now. Some of you are walking through a very difficult situation. Be that your job, be that your family, a health crisis, whatever is the valley that you are walking through, Isaiah and John unite their voices together and are telling us loudly and clearly, prepare the way of the Lord by lifting that up to the Lord. Lift it up to him, right? God, I lift up my relationship with my parents to you as we get ready to go to spend time with them at Christmas. And it's not good. The relationship is, is broken. God, I, I pray that you would, I, I want to lift up to you my job situation. I want to lift up to you my school. I'm trying to make good grades this semester, and I'm struggling. God, I lift up, our, you name the valley, but this is what Isaiah is telling us to do. Lift it up to the Lord. Hey, write this reference down. Um, Psalm 55, verse 22. I'll read this to you. Psalm 55, verse 22 says this. Cast your burden on the Lord, and notice the two promises, and he will sustain you, and he will never allow or permit the righteous to be moved. Do you hear that? As you lift up that valley to the Lord, he's promising that he himself is going to sustain you through it. And he himself is not going to permit you to be shaken um, or uh, to be taken advantage of by evil. In other words, evil will not prevail over the situation because God will bring it all around to your good. Come on, church. Do I hear an amen? Like, this is good news, right? Um, telling you how to prepare the way for the Lord. We need to do that. We, do, we need to do that. Lift that valley up. Okay, here's the next thing. Write this down. Uh, not just lift up your valley to the Lord, but also get low. This is going to have to strike some of us pretty hard and pretty clearly. Um, we need to get low. I don't know if you realize this, but Jerusalem at this time, at Jerusalem has been and has always been on a hill. Uh, there are mountains surrounding Jerusalem um, all around. And, and on this particular, uh, particular passage, what he's saying is God is going to come. Um, and as he's, as he's coming to you, there's something you need to do. Get low. Um, in other words, what we need to, need to do is prepare the way of the Lord by humbling ourselves, tear down our pride and our self-sufficiency in order to actually prepare the way for the Lord. And notice, by the way, it says prepare the, the way of the Lord. Y'all see how it's capitalized, L-O-R-D in your Bibles? Y'all see that? That's called the tetragrammaton in, in Greek, in Hebrew. That means this. It's the personal name of of Yahweh, referencing his sovereignty. Isaiah is doing something very purposeful here. 
He says, I, God is the, the Lord of lords. He's the king of, you finish it. What is he? King of kings, right? He's saying, let's get the right perspective here. Like God, God will come to you and reveal his presence in your situation if you get out of the way. Get low, humble yourself, tear down your pride. God, this, this idea of getting low, it means, hear this, hear this. Everyone who's a control freak in the room, hear this. It means we need to give up our plans, give up our timing, and give up our goals so that we can receive God's presence in our lives. Experience God showing up in our lives. So here, here, you want to see God show up in specific ways? Are you willing to give up your plans so God can show up? Are you willing to give up your timing so that God can show up? If you're zoning out on me, are, are you willing to give up your goals so that God can show up and showcase and show off how big his plans, his goals, and his timing really is? That's what he's talking about here. So you know what we need to do? We got to get low. Get low. Lift up our valley, get low before the Lord. And the third thing we're told to do is to make right. Tells us, I'm just taking you right. I'm not making this up. It's right in the Bible, y'all. Straight up. He's, I'm, I'm literally preaching Isaiah's sermon to you. Like he says very clearly, um, the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places are to be a plain. Uh, and he goes on, the rough, he goes, yeah, the rough places are to be a plain. The point being here is um, smooth things out. Make the ground level, right? Make things right between you and God and you and other people. Confess, yes, confess your sin to the Lord. You need to do that if you want to see God show up in your life. Confess, restore. If there's anything that's in the way between you and God, do that, but not just vertical. A lot of times God is holding back, showing up in our lives because we're not willing to get low and humble ourselves and make things right horizontally with other people in our lives that are, we're still wronged by or we have wronged. Romans 12, verse 18, Paul said this to the church. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, he says, Hey, listen, if possible, as so as far as it, is, as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Because in doing so, you're going to prepare the way for the Lord to show up. Hey, here's a question. I wonder just this morning, and as I was praying for you all this week, has the Lord been wanting you to make a wrong thing right? And you still haven't done it? Maybe, listen, you may want God to show up in your family, and he, he really does want to show up in your family. But maybe he's holding back showing up in your family because, quite frankly, you haven't picked up the phone to call the person that is still upset. Or you haven't done what you needed to do to apologize. And I, my, I mean, a sincere apology, a heartfelt apology to resolve and make right a broken relationship. Hey, you know what? Maybe, hear this, this may be crazy, it may be bold, but maybe...
that empty chair around the dinner table won't be empty if we're willing to prepare the way for the Lord. I just want you to think about that. It's in our passage, and the Lord wants to double-click on, hey, is there a relationship that he's wanting you to make right? In doing so, you prepare the way of the Lord. All right, but that's not it. I got one more promise I want you to see. So I want to see if you can repeat back to me. All right, what, we, what do we got so far? The first promise that we found in this passage of Scripture, right, what is it? Um, God promised to bring what? Comfort into our what? All right, what's the second thing? His presence into our are y'all reading that? Okay. Man, that's messed up. Come on. I'm thinking, y'all, I'm like, this is good, right? Okay. Well, that's fine. All right. Here's the third thing. Write this down. All right. This is for me. I think this is the climactic point that Isaiah is making. This is the promise of all promises, uh, and I absolutely am stunned by it. His glory into our lives. This will, this will stun you, all right? This is that, that moment of opening the present and like, how did you know that moment is what we're talking about right now. Verse number five. He says, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All right, so here's this idea of glory being revealed. This is what the people in in Babylon were so desperately wanting. They were remembering what it was like when when they were, all the stories they were told, how God's glory was dwelling among the people in the tabernacle, you know, in the tent of meetings. There was this incredible history there. They were reflecting back on on, on what it was like with their great, 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 great grandparents, God's presence there among them. And again, uh, during the wilderness time, God revealed his glory was among them um, as at, in the tabernacle. Let me show you this picture. This will help you visualize it. Um, all right, so this is a picture of the tabernacle, which later became the temple by Solomon. But you have, the, the, notice this, the curtain there. Well, if you appear behind the curtain, it's the Ark of the Covenant. And it was where God's Shekinah glory was said to dwell. And do you know how you knew that God's glory was there? When the people were living right and they were following the ways of the Lord, you knew that God's glory was there. Hear this. Because a pillar of fire rested upon that particular top of the, of the tent. It, 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 them, it led them at nighttime. This pillar of fire was a representation of God's Shekinah glory. Remember this. The fire represented the Shekinah glory of God. Say, why is that such a big deal, Joe? Why are you you going ham on that? Here's why. Look at at this. And I want you to see this. The Gospel of John. Um, John was writing his own story of the Bible account of the birth of Christ. He said this. Listen to these words. We have seen the glory. We have seen the glory as of the only Son of the Father, Jesus Christ He is the physical representation of the glory of God. He's the glory of the fire. It was Jesus. And then the Mount of Transfiguration, we saw the same fire, the same bright light. It's it's Jesus, is what John was saying. Matthew, another one of the disciples, said it this way. Hey, his name, Jesus, is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us, right? So where, where am I going with this? Well, if you remember, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. Jesus, when he was on the earth, he made a very sober promise to the, to the disciples. He said, listen, whenever I'm going, to be, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be laid down and buried, and then I'm going to be resurrected from the dead and ascended. But, but when I ascend into heaven, my glory, my presence will no longer be with you. And there was this moment of like, 
well, what's next? If you're not going to be with us, what's going to happen next? And he says, that's because my glory is going to be inside of you. Say, what? What does that even mean? Well, in Acts chapter 2, you fast forward, and now you're with the disciples. Jesus is ascended into heaven, and now the moment happens. The, the promise is fulfilled. Acts chapter 2, let me read you what happened on the famous day of Pentecost. All right, here's what happened. Acts 2, verse 3 and 4. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on them. Now, why in the world was there tongues of fire on them? Here's why. Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Y'all track with me? Like, I don't know if, I'm, if y'all are still with me, because that would have been, that should have been an awesome moment right there. Um, like, that means, that means just as, can you show me that picture again, Emily? Just as the Shekinah glory, the pillar of fire was in the tabernacle, now, because of the Christmas story, God's glory is now inside of all humanity that turns to Christ. That's what that means. The glory of God inside of humanity. Now, let's just, let's just, all right, this is, this is my, my, I won't say that. Uh, let, let's just entertain this thought a little bit more, okay? How do you think Moses would have felt hearing this promise? Moses would, I mean, he wanted to be in God's presence. He wanted to see the glory of God. He said, look, um, I'm going to tuck you away in the cliff, and then when I do that, I'm going to let my glory pass by, and you'll see my backside. That's all you're going to see. Moses, Moses longed to see the glory of God. And here we are sitting in a room as some of us born-again believers believing in the Christmas story, and the glory of God is dwelling inside of us The same fire that was there in the tabernacle is now inside of us. We have become the tabernacle, okay? The only thing I could think of in this moment is to imagine what Moses would have felt like. The Bible says whenever he got close to the presence of God, he took his shoes off and he laid his face on the ground and worshiped the Lord because of His awesome glory. And that glory is inside of us. How do we respond? Well, maybe the response is actually found in the book of Acts in in a surprising way as the day of Pentecost unfolds. Let me read it again. And I want you to, I want to highlight something that I think is not accidental. The story goes on and says again, on the day of Pentecost, and divided tongues of fire rested on them. Follow me here. Tongues of fire. What's so special about tongues? Well, maybe it's perhaps the best way we should respond to the gleaming reality that the glory of God is inside of us. That means maybe we should be tasting and delighting in and enjoying in the glory of God, something that Moses longed to experience. You and I get that privilege of tasting that. We get to experience the fullness of that gaining continual proximity and being in God's presence during the Christmas story. It's all because of Christmas. Not just that. Tasting, yes, but also telling also other people. Telling other people about the glory of God that has been made relevant and manifest because of Christmas. 
the best way you and I should respond to this gleaming reality of God's glory being inside of us is by tasting and telling. That is the best thing I could tell you to do this Christmas season. So what does that mean for you? Maybe it means spending some time with the Lord alone and just delighting in that gleaming reality, gaining access into his presence and just delighting in him telling other people about him. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up stage here. We're going to end uh, this particular message with the way Isaiah ends it. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me. And um, again, the goal behind this Christmas past two messages is to really to, to help us to see that Christmas essentially reminds us that what God promises to do, he always does. Again, Isaiah, in the end of this particular um, prophecy, <laughs> he, he commands these, Ju these people of Judah to do something. In light of this incredible work that God was going to do on their behalf, we are looking backwards and we see he's already done it. Here's what he says uh, to the people of Judah. He says, go, go on up a high mountain, O Zion, and herald the good news Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up and fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord your God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Do you hear that? Like, go, tell it on the mountains. That's what he's saying. Like, I'm not making it up. Christmas story, Christmas song came right out of Isaiah 40. Say, Joe, that was a cheesy move there. That was totally cheesy. No, 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 it's not cheesy at all. What I want you to do is step back and see the origin of where these Christmas songs came from. What this Christmas season is all about. It's celebrating the surprising promises of Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's sing this all too familiar hymn. Go tell it on the mountains.